Heavenly Father, we ask that you come into this place, that what we do, what we say, what we sing, and what we pray, it's pleasing to you, it's exalting to you, it lifts you up. Lord, we want to come to you in reverence. humility and purpose of mind. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So thank you for being here. I know I made a reference to the sacred season, um, and we've had a lot of things that I've been able to share with you, you know, from the pulpit about things that have happened during sacred of season from my son getting saved on the very first night um, to this this. This man that, um, you know, made some decisions at this, this church down in Myrtle Beach that I shared with you the other day um, to these two ladies who got um, puzzling reports from the doctor. I'll say puzzling because they're puzzling to man. Two ladies went to the doctor um, and both came back with um, reports that they couldn't find the cancer that they did on the previous um, appointment. I mean, these are the things that we're getting that we're reporting back during our sacred season. Um, you know, it's funny, when we went into this sacred season, I, I got to admit that, that really the, the main reason or the main thrust that, that Terry and I felt like when we tried to um, get the church on board with this was just about this pastoral search and, and what's happening next in the next chapter. But, you know, what's interesting is that our, our ways are certainly not his ways. And so what ends up being accomplished is, is uh, it's one of those things that it, I think that's how God gets our attention sometimes. Right, is that we're asking for this and we're expecting this and we're looking towards this, which is what he wants, but then he comes in from over here with something else. And so, um, so of course, there's, there's three aspects, you know, that we were doing for this sacred season. It was um, the, the fasting aspect, which we just asked that you would um, fast from one meal during the day, uh, preferably your favorite meal. Um, and, and, and we wanted to do an actual food fast. That's what we were, we were asking for you to do. Um, not fasting from Facebook or, or fasting from chocolate per se, but an actual meal. Um, because if you've, if you've done a fast before, if you have skipped a meal or, or, or throughout the day or, or done one of those fasts where it's just a juice thing, you know that it gets your attention. It gets your attention. You know, there's one thing to put your phone to the side and say, I'm not doing social media, but it's a different type of attention when you are flat out skipping a meal. And so it's a, it's a good thing to do. There's a reason why the idea of fasting and the principle of fasting is found in the scriptures. Um, it, it's certainly to get our attention. Um, so that fasting, and we've had these devotional booklets that we, we've shared and we've had digital, we've had paper copies and things like that. And, and I, I've said this every time, listen, if you still want the content, if you still want to see what, what the, um, the daily things are, I've, I've got some copies in the back. So see me before you leave. You're welcome to start now. Let's be serious. We're, we're going to enter, be entering into a different season here at North Walhalla very soon. Uh, and so we certainly, um, we, we certainly love to have maybe a different group of people on board, right? Maybe you weren't able to get started when we started. Now all of a sudden, maybe we could kind of pass the torch to another group who will then begin their 21 days. So, so please see me afterwards. I'd love to get those materials um, into your hands. But the third, act, the third part of the sacred season has been prayer. And I don't know about you, but I have always felt like prayer is a weakness of mine. And when I say that, I just mean that, like, I, th I think we're all kind of guilty of this sometimes. That, 
you ever ranked yourself against other people, other Christians, and you feel like they're more churchy or they're more biblically sound or they're more something? You know, there's, there's these categories of, of being Christians. And so, you know, what you have is you have these prayer warriors, these people that we're like, man, if I need prayer, I go to them, you know, and if, if, if I need somebody to pray the house down, that's what I'm on. And, and if we're going to have prayer night, that's, that's who we want, you know, to be leading the prayer, the charge of the prayer. And so I, I don't, I don't put myself into the, the category of like good prayers, I, and that may be weird, but um, it's just always I felt like it's been a weakness of mine, or I, and I felt like sometimes, do you ever get the feeling when you're praying, you just kind of feel weird, like you're talking to yourself, you're not really sure what you're saying to God, and you're like, I don't really know, I don't even know where I'm going with this, and, and then unfortunately, if you're like me sometimes, before you know it, you're thinking about your shopping list at Walmart, you're like, get back to, wait, get back to God, like, you know, leave the groceries alone for a minute, and so um, I, I want to unpack a little bit about prayer uh, tonight. And I'm very analytical. If you, haven't, if, you, if you haven't figured this out by hearing me teach and preach enough yet, I'm very analytical. I have a, I got a structure. I've got an order to things. Um, if you saw my materials up here, it would, you would be like, wow. You know, I, I, you know other people are, are evangelistic, you know, and you just give them like one verse. And an hour later, I mean, there's people crying. And they, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on, right? Some speakers are like that. But I'm very calculating and I'm very analytical and I'm, I, I got an order and a way I sort things out. And so I naturally kind of approach prayer when I want to know about more about prayer and I want to be better at prayer. That's, that's how I end up approaching it. And so I just want to share with you um, a couple of things that I've, I've kind of found about prayer, that there's actually a process of prayer. There's actually a process to prayer. There's a, there's a process to prayer. Um, and, and so when we think about processes, like if you've, if, if you've worked anywhere or even studied anything, like processes are very, very important. You know, in the workplace, there's processes about how things should go, you know, whether it's like a technical field or even if it's in the arts, you know, there's a certain way that something should be done. Or if you work, you know, with people and human resources, you know, there's a certain way that the hiring process should be done. I mean, processes are all over the place. They're all around us. Um, certainly, we know that Computers and, and technology is constantly doing processes. They're, they're happening in this room right now. Like literally as I speak into this thing, there's a process going as it transmits the signal back there and it sends it out to the speakers. Processes are all around and the computer's trying to display that. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. And so like um, to kind of throw back to a couple of weeks ago, you know, we set up this courtroom right here in the sanctuary and uh, <clears throat> I started thinking about the process of selecting a jury. So in our court system, of course, you are entitled to a trial by jury. And you know, there's actually a very lengthy process. There's actually a very specific and detailed um, and, and um, um, determined process when it comes to selecting a jury. So for example, the, the beginning of the jury process, jury selection process actually starts with voter registration records and the Department of Motor Vehicles. Those are typically the two databases in our country, whether it's on a local level or even on a, you know, a, a, a federal level. Typically, voter registration and Department of Motor Vehicles, that's where the, the jury selection process actually starts. Most jury lists are generated from that. And the reason why is because in order to serve on a jury, you have to live in the jurisdiction where the court is going to be held. So naturally you would use lists of people that live in that area and that's why they go to those. And if you've ever had the, the pleasure or the pain of, of being called to jury duty, um, you, you get into this big, you go into the courtroom on the first day of trial or, or of court rather, and there's hundreds of people in there that have been called uh, to jury depending on the size and, and where, where this is. <clears throat> and then the process continues though, right? So then what they do is then they start asking questions and they, they ask, very specific questions like, um, 
you know, are you a U.S. citizen, and do you live at, you know, in this county or in this city or in this jurisdiction? They go through this very specific process to make sure that you should even kind of be uh, in the room. But, but that's not it. The process actually continues after that. So then they start to ask more questions, uh, things like, um, are, are you the primary caretaker uh, for a young person, for a child, or for an elderly person such that it would be a hardship for you to serve on the jury? Right? And they go through these different questions. They ask you, are you in any way connected to or related to the criminal justice system like law enforcement or a judge or something like that? You know, because our courts, you know, very, very important part of the process. They don't want anybody biased. They don't want anybody who's you know, kind of connected or able to form opinions kind of before they walk into court. But that's still not the end of the process. Right? So then what they do is then they kind of continue to ask more questions, and then they're going to start asking what they do is they tell you, well, these are the, um, these are the ter- attorneys in the case. This is the prosecutor. This is the defense attorney. They will introduce you to the witnesses in the case. These are the people who might testify in this case. And they say, do you know any of these people, or are you related to any of these people? <clears throat> Excuse me. Or, or anything like that, because they're trying to eliminate that. And that's actually still not the end of the process. You know, at this point, they've you know, narrowed it down from a couple hundred down to maybe 50. And, and then what they do is then they actually start calling numbers. And then it's kind of a random selection of all the people who have made it through all of these other things, and they, they finally get it down. And even then, even then, the attorneys still have the, pro- the opportunity to dismiss someone from the jury or add them to the jury. And at that point, the, the defense attorney is saying, well, my, my client is old, so I want maybe old people who might, you know, resonate or, or at least, you know, have some sympathy, you know, or my client is young, so I want young people, or my client is a father, so I want, you know, people who look like dads to be on my jury. And so it, this, this process kind of continues on. It's a very, very specific process. And I think it's important for you to understand that there actually is a process to prayer because I think sometimes we, we, we talk so much about prayer and especially if you get one of those people who's just a really good at prayer, like when they talk about it, sometimes you're like, I don't, I don't, I'm not even on your level. I don't even know. I just kind of do this. I say a couple of things. I'm not really sure if I'm even saying it right in the right order. So not surprisingly, Jesus specifically talked about prayer, but he specifically talked about the process of prayer, the process of prayer. And this is found in Matthew chapter nine. And so, or excuse me, uh, Matthew chapter six. So we're gonna go to Matthew chapter six and I want you to see uh, these things. So this is, of course, uh, Jesus and he's talking to his disciples. He's he's telling his followers uh, some things. And remember what I said last time, There are about 20 or 30 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when you see Matthew chapter 6, that tells you that we are kind of early in his ministry, right? Chapter 10 to 15, or you know, that would be kind of halfway. 20 to 30 would be kind of near the end as he's getting ready, you know, for his crucifixion. But 5 to 10 is still very, very early uh, in his ministry. So at the very beginning of his ministry, as his disciples are just trying to figure out who he is, <clears throat> they've probably watched him do some miracles at this point. They've heard him say some really confusing things, but they, they know that he's pointing them to God. He's telling them about God, that he was sent by God, the Father sent me. And so, you know, they're just kind of wrestling with some things. And one of the first things that he teaches them is the process of prayer. So we're gonna unpack 
this process of prayer. So let's, let's look at what he says. And you're, you're familiar with this. I mean, my goodness, high schoolers say this before every football game. Like you've heard the Lord's prayer and, 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 and uh, some, some um, faith, some denominations and some, some groups of people. I mean, this is, this is a, a part of their daily life to say the Lord's prayer. But, but Jesus says, in this manner, therefore pray. So he is saying, what I'm about to tell you is the way that you should pray. Our Father, uh, and those of you that know it this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or uh, trespasses as we forgive our debtors or sometimes we say as we forgive um, our trespassers. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I just want to make a side note. This has nothing to do with the process of prayer. But please note right there that Jesus is specifically telling us that there is an evil one. Okay? In 2020, the world and the evil one do not want you to believe that he exists. It is actually one of his tactics from the very beginning. The devil would love, better, love nothing better than for you not to even know that he exists. And Jesus, from the very beginning, is teaching us to pray to be delivered from evil, from the evil one. It's very, very important, okay? All right, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. <clears throat> so here's what's really interesting. The four letters, P-R-A-Y they actually give us the process of prayer. P-R-A-Y, it actually gives us the process of prayer and it's built right there into the Lord's Prayer. So some of you are like, you'd have to be analytical to even see this. So um, do me a favor and let's go back to the first verse there in, uh, in, in Matthew 6 um, because I want you to kind of see... Um, the, the first letter. So go to Matthew chapter, back to the uh, first verse. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father who art in heaven. And that gives us our first word, which is position. It's position. You see, what, what Jesus is telling us to do is to recognize God in his position. And that's the first thing we do when we come to him in prayer. It's the first thing that we do. Now, most of the time, or at least a lot of times, if it's just a quick blessing before you eat your Zaxby's, you know, dear God. That is, that is recognizing him for his position. It's recognizing him um, by title. Um, but we're, we're trying to get beyond, you know, just a Zaxby's blessing. I mean, we're trying to, to recognize and see a little bit more of this. And so um, he says, uh, our father. And so when you recognize God as father, there's a couple of things that happen there. Number one, it, it says like what his position is in relationship to us, all right? And, and I, want to, I, want you to, I want you to understand that the word, the Greek word that's used, or that, that, that Jesus, the, uh, the word that Jesus uh, spoke, or the Greek word that was used by Matthew when he wrote this down, um, it talks about God, uh, it talks, the word father refers to like the founder of the family, so it is more than just 
the, 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 the one who got with your mother. It's more than that. It is the, it is the, it's like the word that means the founder of the, the tribe or the family. It also means one who has infused his own spirit into others. Do you see how that's more than just saying dad? It's way more than that. Not only is he the founder of the tribe and the family, but he's the one who like infuses his spirit um, into others. But, but let me read just a little bit more. Um, and this is, this is from a concordance that, that unpacks this word for us. God is called the father of the stars, the heavenly luminaries, because he is their creator, upholder, ruler. He is called the father of all rational and intelligent beings, whether angels or men, because he is their creator, preserver, guardian, and protector. He is called the father of Christians as those who through Christ have been exalted to a specially close and intimate relationship with God and who no longer dread him as a stern judge of sinners, but revere him as their reconciled and loving father. God is called the father of, of Jesus Christ as one whom God has united to himself in the closest bond of love and intimacy, made acquainted with his purposes, appointed to explain and carry out among men the plan of salvation, and made to share also in his own divine nature. That is all in one word when you say, our Father. Now, the second part of that says that our Father who art in heaven. This is why I think this is really, really important, okay? Since the very beginning of time, since men have been kings and rulers and had people under them, people, humanity, has, we've been making a rank and structure system, a rank and file system of humanity. These are the best and the most important humans, and these are the less and least important human beings. Right, So for a long time, just men were in power, and so men were the, were the most important, and women and children did not have value, and slaves did not have value. And you look across civilizations over thousands of years, right? there has been this idea that this group of people is up here, the ones with the money, the ones with the power, the ones with the most might. The golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? That was the idea. And then everyone else was, was down the list somewhere and slaves were down here and criminals were even further down here. But from the very beginning, do you know what, what, what God has done? He's put us all on a plane below him. God has made people equal in his eyes from the very beginning because he made us in the image of him. He did not make men in more of the image of God than women or men in more of the image than children. In fact, that's one of the most amazing things that when Jesus comes along and he's on the scene, the Roman Empire, women and children have no value. Slaves have no value. And Jesus comes and reinforces this notion that God has put in since the very, very beginning, right? He is here and we are all humans, humanity, and so when we are recognizing as him being in heaven, when we put him there, he is above and we are here. So inherent to the idea of recognizing as him being up above, we are also recognizing that we are in this together, like we are on this same plane. All right, so then we go to the next verse. Oh, no, 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 we stay right there. Um, Hallowed be your name. Um. The thing about Hollywood, the, the, and this, this gives us our R word. So our R word is reverence. Okay, so first we start with his position and we recognize his position and then we immediately move into reverence. 
You see, because when we recognize him for his position, now we, we, we have to move into a position of reverence. In recognizing him as being father in heaven, now we owe him a certain amount of respect for that position. Does that make sense? I mean, we, we have this notion just in, in our military or whether it's with the president, there is, a, there is a certain way that officers are treated, right? There's a certain way that, that people in the military respond to the president. They have to salute him because he's considered, you know, a commanding officer to them. So, so this is not a concept that's, that's, that's unfamiliar to us. Um, so I, I've got a verse here that's, that's out of Hebrews. I, I, don't, I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and you can write this down and, and maybe check it out later, but it's Hebrews uh, 12, 28 is where I'm going. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So I want you to understand that fear, which as we know from the psalmist and the writers in Proverbs, fear is the beginning of wisdom. So fear and reverence are kind of, you know, they're, they're connected together. But the word reverence that's used in Hebrews, I want you to understand, it means several different things. Honor, modesty, respect, shame, and bashfulness. So, so here's, what I, here's what that means to me. That means that when, when, when Jesus is teaching us to pray and he's, he's, he's going through this and we get to this, this idea of reverence, it's this idea that, look, can you imagine what would happen right now if God walked into the room? What would happen right now if God walked into the room? Besides all of us dying, uh, if, if we could make it to the point before we even die because of his presence, we would immediately just fall to our knees and, and collapse in, in, in just awe of his presence, right? That's how it would be if God came into the room. And so if, if I can express that with enough emotion for you to understand, that's the idea of this reverence. It's the idea, of course, that whenever, um, so it's funny is that, so hallowed be your name, is also what God uses to describe the ground that Moses is standing on with the burning bush. And he tells Moses, don't come any closer and take off your shoes because the ground you are standing on is hallowed or holy ground. It's the idea that this, it, there's so much intensity. And here's the thing, I was kind of studying the word holy the other day. And it, it's the idea that he is like the giver of life. And so there's just so much giving coming off of the creator that it would just be too much for us to take. He's giving off so much goodness and perfection that it's just, it would be, it's too much for us to take. That's the idea of reverence. That's the idea of reverence. Okay, so let's continue with the, the verses. So I think we should be at, um, we should be on 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this, this is the second part of the reverence. Do you see that we are still recognizing him as his authority, as his control? We are still saying, like, you are the man, you are the creator, you are the boss, you're in charge, you're calling the shots, your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, Jesus is trying to tell us, listen, this has to be part of the process of your prayer, right? And saying, you know, we just, you know, and what we're doing is we're just saying, hey, listen, you know, 
what you're doing in, in, in heaven, we just ask that we can get a little bit of here, here on earth. You notice that? Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So your goodness and all the stuff that's going on in heaven, all the amazing things, we just, can we just get a taste of that? Can we just have just a small, just a bit of that? Just a, just a hint of it is what we're asking for, right? And so um, we have position and we have reverence. And then we get to verse 11 and it's everyone's favorite part. The A stands for ask. This is everyone's favorite part of prayer. Um, it is probably where we spend most of our time. This is where we are asking. Now, I think sometimes we've done a disservice as preachers and teachers um, because some t- someone will hit you with a scripture bomb that says, ye have not because ye ask not. So, so what we do is we, we just have this notion that you just... Well, you, you don't have it because you haven't picked up your magic prayer wand and just waved it over something and asked for it. There's, there's, there's way more to it than that. There's way more to it than that. Clearly, there's way more to our prayer life than just ye have not because ye ask not. And it, it sounds good. And, you know, when Michael wants a new car and he says, I don't, I don't have a new car. And I said, well, you have not because you ask not. No, I, I don't think that's the theology that, that we're supposed to subscribe to. But, but notice what he see, that that's, this is where we need to unpack a little bit what he says. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, you know, what's interesting is that it is not a question. Notice that when Jesus said, when you're praying. He, he didn't pose it as, could you please give us this day our daily bread? You know, there's a, there's a fine line between respect and expectation. And I think Jesus is telling us, you can expect that. You can, you, you can step confidently, into, walk confidently in that relationship with him. I think that's what, that's what I take away when I see that as give us this day our daily bread. So it doesn't necessarily say give us this day our new car. It says give us this day our daily bread. And I think you all understand that, that the daily bread, give us this day our daily bread is a matter of what we need right now. Now, one of the reasons why we know that Jesus would use the phrase, give us this day, our daily bread, is a reference back to the Old Testament when the nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness and every day they had to rely on God to provide the manna. So we know that that's, that would be a main, major reason why Jesus would tell them, give us this day, our daily bread. This is where he's like, ask, ask, ask. Now, the problem is, is that typically we stop right there. We don't make it to the why. And our prayer life then is incomplete. Because the why is yield. And let's go to 12. Uh, forgive us our debts and forgive us our debtors. That's, that's, that's st- still in this, this notion of what we're asking for. So verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. There's a, you know, there's this notion in, in, in public speaking just in general as to what's the, what, what, what do you want to leave your audience with is typically kind of the last point that you want to make, right? So if you're going to say something in a, in a public forum and you have three major points that you want to bring up, typically if you want them to, to hear something, you might save it for the last. The last point is the one I really want you to take home. It's the one I really want you to remember. And it's interesting that at the end here, we say to God, 
But ultimately, it's your call. Ultimately, it's your call. So in, in this idea of asking for a new car, sometimes the next thing we say is, well, why don't I have it yet? But why don't I have it yet? Because someone told me you, ask not, you have not because you ask not. But, but, but hear me on this, that, that the part of the process of our prayer is for us to say, ultimately, God, I know it's your call. It's your call because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Do you see how that's actually come full circle, right? We started with his position and we, and we, and we, 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 recog- we, we came into this, uh, this moment in reverence and we get to this, this kind of this, the personalized part where we're asking for something, but then we go right back up with it and we yield to his power and his glory. Now, one thing I wanna make sure that you understand about ask is um, another reference that, that, that Jesus makes actually in Matthew uh, chapter 11. And I, I don't have this on the screens, but I, you, if you've been in church like twice, you may have heard this. So come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you shall, um, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What has to happen in order for you to put on a new yoke? You have to remove the old one. Okay? So I think built into this notion of our relationship with Jesus is that he, he, he's telling you, give me your burdens so then I can give you what I want to give. Give me your burdens. There there's like a give and a take kind of built in right there. Take my yoke upon you. And when you take my yoke, guess what you're going to have to do? Take your yoke off and you are going to have to leave it. Right? I think that's very much what's built into the story of Lot's wife when they are leaving the city and, Lot's, and, he's, and, 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 and they're instructed, don't look back on what you're leaving behind you. That life is, 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 is gone. You are leaving that place. And it's like she has to have one last glimpse and she turns into a pillar of salt. Jesus said, if you, whoever puts his hand to the plow should not look back. And so here it's important for you to understand that God is saying, I want to give you everything for your abundant life, but built into the idea, I am giving you permission to ask for things, but I am also giving you permission to put down the things that you should not carry any longer. Right? And so there's only one problem with prayer, or there is a problem when it comes to prayer. And this, this comes to me out of Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua. And so Joshua was a, a great man of God, and he took over after they, they, they leave um, Egypt, and, and, and ultimately Moses, he ends up dying um, in the wilderness, and he never makes it to the promised land. And Joshua is now going to lead the people into the promised land. And the first place they have to defeat and overcome is Jericho. And so we, you know, we teach our kids that there's a battle at Jericho and we have songs about Joshua fighting this battle and, and the walls came tumbling down, you know, and they blow these trumpets and for seven days they do these things. And we read all about this in Joshua chapter six. And at the end of Joshua chapter six, they have defeated Jericho. They have overcome Jericho. The walls have come down. They have gone in there and they have destroyed the entire place. But buried in the middle of Joshua chapter six is a couple of verses that essentially God is saying, when you go there, and you ransack and destroy Jericho, there are a couple of things that I want you to do. And if you find this, I don't want you to touch it. But if you find this, I want you to keep it. 
I am giving you permission to take this. I am not giving you permission to take this. It's kind of snuck there in the middle of the, of the chapter. And the end of chapter six ends with the nation of Israel defeated Jericho and they are celebrating. And chapter seven, verse one, <laughs> the very first word of the chapter is, but. but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for a word I can't pronounce, the son of, another word I don't know how to pronounce, the son of, I don't know how to pronounce several of these words, took of the accursed things. So Jesus, so God said, you can take this, but don't take this. And so um, this uh, Achan, is how I pronounce it, Achan took of the accursed things. So he took the things they're not supposed to. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, or I, I pronounce it Ai which is beside Bethaven on the east side of Bethel and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there for the people of Ai are few. Have you ever gone into a battle overconfident? You know what the... You know what the um, the biggest threat to future success is past success. Because if you've had past success, you assume future success. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. I mean, the, the confidence here before, oh, it's fine. It's just it's, 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 it's this pesky little city. Look what we just accomplished. It's fine. Just like, send a couple of guys with some swords or something. Then Joshua tore his clothes. Now, the tearing or rent uh, is, is one of the biblical words. It's, it's a sign of mourning. And fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. This is all part of the, the process of saying, oh, woe is us. And, and Joshua said, alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? Boy, don't we throw it back on him? Man, we're so good at throwing it back at God. To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us, right? You, you, you brought us over the Jordan, but then now you're going to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Man, that is, listen, that, you, you hear what's going on there. Joshua is saying, well, we should have just stayed back here then. You're trying to give us the promised land and you're trying to get us in there, but, but it doesn't seem to be going the way that we thought it should be going. You know, we should just hang out here. I was fine where I was. In fact, you know that happens previously. They, when the nation of Israel is, is wandering in the desert, right? They end, at one point, they tell Moses, we should just go back to Egypt. We got it a lot better back in Egypt. And it wasn't long before that they're in Egypt saying, woe is us, God, get us out of here. God, get us out of here. And he gets them out of there and they're complaining to Moses, we need to go back. And sure enough, here they are doing it again, Joshua. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our, I mean, he's, now he's just, now he's just, he's got a bucket of pity and he is just rolling around in it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what, <laughs> then what will you do for your great name? Boy, that's manipulative, isn't it? I mean, I love Joshua. And I'm, I have, I'm, I've, I've said these things and thought these things in my prayer time. But do you hear? I mean, to hear it. So the Lord said to Joshua, 
And this is the problem. This is the problem when it comes to prayer. You have got to get up. And when I say get up, I mean do something. Do something. Step into your prayer life. Step into your prayer closet. Step into a conversation with God. I've been saying to, to kids and, 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 and over the years with vacation Bible schools and teaching kids church and stuff like that, I always ask them, what's the most important time in church? And a lot of the kids that, that were part of our ministry, they always said prayer. And I would say, why? And they would say, because I'm talking to God. Do you know what's one of the most important times I can spend with my wife is a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, sitting at the table, just talking. That's, the most, so that's, that's some of the most quality time you can have with anybody you know, any relationship with you have, any friend, any family member, anything, is just to talk to them. Just talk to them. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just want to sit there with your kids and just listen to them. Just watch them, listen to them, and let your six-year-old tell you about his matchbox cars, and that can be some of the greatest moments. Get up get into prayer, have a conversation with God. And God says, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have stolen and, and deceived. L listen, maybe there's an accursed thing that's hindering your prayer. Maybe there's this thing, maybe there's this thing that you just haven't let go of yet. And God's saying, get up and, and, and get, okay. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Next verse. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. You cannot stand up to your enemies if you're holding on to an accursed thing, which is hindering your conversation with God but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel. There is an accursed thing in your minds, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. It's just buried in this chapter in Joshua, just buried kind of after the story that we study. We study Jericho. We go one more chapter, and this is what we get to. So Brother Eddie Morgan back there, I was going to ask you to do me a favor, if you would. Would you do me a favor and turn the lights, uh, turn the chandeliers off for me? The, uh, just, the, just the chandeliers, please. What I want to do is I want to set the mood a little bit for what we're going to move into for the next few minutes. We don't have to do it very long. I won't keep you very long. Um, in fact, in a few minutes after we get done with this, um, Joey, who is our clerk, um, is going to share some things about the process that we've been going through for the pastoral search. But I want to set the mood for a little bit of prayer time. Music. And here are the things that I'm going to ask you to pray about. Here's the things that I'm going to ask you to consider over the next few minutes as you do a few minutes of prayer. Listen, here's, here's the thing. I know all of you are busy. There is a lot going on in our lives. 
Every day is busy. And you know what? Sometimes it's good for someone to say, hey, spend a few minutes in prayer. So that's what I'm asking you to do right now. Please don't leave. Um, we, we have some information to share with you in a few minutes. This won't be long, um, but I'm asking you to pray for, 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 these, for these things. So I want you to recognize God for his position. I want you to, 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 to speak to him about his reverence, who he is, what he's done. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to talk to God about maybe there's an accursed thing that you need to get rid of, that you need to leave to the side, that you need to walk away from. Because maybe, maybe, maybe that's been a hindrance to you. Maybe that's been a stumbling block for you. Maybe that's been a speed bump for you, all right? I'm gonna ask you to pray for our church. When I say our church, I mean North Wahala. I want you to pray for our church. Pray for the church body, the people that are here, the people that come here, the people that serve here. Pray for our church. This is a season that we, we have got to come together. And I'm so glad that you're here tonight to be a part of this. I'm, I'm asking that you pray for the clerk and for the deacons. It has already been a rough time for them, and there are several weeks of, of rough times ahead of them as this decision-making process, it's tough, and there are a lot of moving parts, and who this, and when this, and where that, right? And they are doing their best to try to make the best decision for this body and be informed and ask the right questions and, and, and make phone calls and emails and text messages and all day and all leaving. So I'm asking that you will pray for them. I'm asking that you'll pray for the state office. The state office needs prayer as they try to do all this. And listen, let's be serious. North Wahala is not the only church that the state office is having to navigate business for. And it is easy to, it is easy to be lost into our, our, our own box. But pray for the state office that they have time, that they have wisdom, that they are diligent in how they are serving uh, North Wahala. I'm gonna ask you to pray for Neil Nolan. Some of you may still be battling with, with, with him leaving. So I'm just gonna ask you to pray for him. You know, he was, he was thrown into a situation at Palmetto Street Church of God. They are a hurting congregation. And listen, Palmetto, Neil Nolan is not the enemy and Palmetto Street Church of God is not the enemy. Do you understand that? They are not the enemy. They did not steal our pastor. They, we, we don't need to snub our noses at them and wish that maybe that their church closes its doors or something bad happens to them, right? They were in a bad way. Their pastor was kicked out for a moral failure. He lost his credentials. You want to talk about feeling lost and confused? And you all know there are people who are young in their faith and young in their belief and young in their Christianity, weak in their beliefs. And that shook them to their foundation. And people have walked out of that church and said, how could I possibly have confidence in God if this man is gonna do this to me? Please pray for them. Pray for our future pastor. We have a pastor who will be here at some point. We don't know when, but he'll be here. Pray for him. He's gonna be moving here from who knows where. I could be, it could be out of state. It could be down the road. We don't know. And he's gonna have to move him. If he's got wife and kids, they'll be here too. They'll have to get acclimated to the area, to schools or whatever. We don't... Pray for him. We don't even know who it is, but pray for him. And he probably has a church. He's probably pastor of a church right now. And he nor his church may know that he is leaving there to come here. So pray for his church because they're about to enter a strange season and they're going to be praying and they're going to be confused and they're going to have lots of questions. And if anybody can empathize with that, it's us. And then I'm asking you to go to that 
the why. Yield, yield, yield to him. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Right where you are, if you're physically able, I'd ask you to get on your knees right there at your pew. If you, if, if, if you can come to the altar, if you wanna to come to the altar, that's what I'm asking you to do. But please, please, please give us about six to eight minutes. I'm gonna, we're gonna leave this list up here because sometimes it's good to have a list because otherwise you're, you're like, I don't know what else to pray for. I'm praying for plants and breakfast. I don't know what else to pray for, you know? So, so focus, look, look to that list as things that I want you to do. So can we do that together for the next few minutes? Um, as a church family.